that are watching online, and of course, all of you that can see me live. Welcome to everybody. Uh, so we have you have two handouts, and not to confuse everybody, but that I think uh, we're gonna. The one page is um, we're gonna start right. We're gonna talk about fifteen for like thirty seconds, and then we're gonna move into verses sixteen and seventeen. And talk about uh, where, if you see on your first page there, the four warnings uh, in that passage, uh, false philosophy, legalism, angel worship, and asceticism. We're, we finally made it to legalism. We looked at verses 8 through 15. That's seven verses that we looked at. And... Uh, uh, we we went slowly and looked at them in depth, and now we're on uh, legalism, verses 16 and 17. Um, so we'll do a little review, and then we'll go right into legalism. And, and then, uh, but uh, if you will turn to Colossians 2, we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. And if you would like, we're going to talk about Galatians 5 towards the end of the class. If you want to, you can stick a bookmark in there, Galatians 5. We're going to look at a couple of verses in Galatians 5. So let's have a word of prayer and uh, ask the Lord to be with us. Glad to see everybody. I think last week there was a lot of people gone from bugs and travel and whatever. So it's good to see everybody this morning. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of looking at Colossians. Lord, we thank you for the richness uh, of this chapter, or rather the whole book, and knowledge about you and who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, Father. And we thank you for the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ reflects in verse 15 and uh, victory on the cross, victory over the uh, forces of evil, the principalities and powers and forces of evil. Lord, I thank you for each one that's watching today online and each person that's here. We pray your great blessing upon them. We pray that you would bless our study of your word and it would not return into you void as you promised and that you would give us a deeper understanding of what you're saying and what you said through Paul to the Colossians, which applies to us. And uh, pray you'd be with those that are ill and hurting. We know there are many that are ill and hurting. Pray for, for healing. Pray that you would uh, be with our service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are going to read. I'm going to read if you'll follow along. I'm going to start with verse 15 and do 16 and 17 in Colossians 2. So, looks like everybody is there. Verse 15, I, I just wanted to read 15 because it's hard to move away from such a victorious verse where it talks about what the Lord did on the cross. And having, tri and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Verse 16, now we're in legalism. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day 
or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ or the substance. <coughs> okay, so on your handout, you'll see uh, we're on legalism and we divided this chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 through 23, into four distinct sections. Legalism is the section we're on now. <coughs> and uh, verses 16 and 17, we just read, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And before I go on, I just uh, wanted to mention again the great verse in verse 15. We looked at how Christ, on the previous handout, when he spoiled the principalities and powers, that means he stripped their arms and armament away from them and uh, their armor as well. So he disarmed them. Not only did he disar disarm them, but he made a show of them openly. He disgraced them. And now in verse, uh, the third part of the uh, verse 15, he was triumphant or he triumphing over them uh, in it. <coughs> Excuse me. And the it is the cross. So, he used, the, he used the cross, which they meant for evil. He used it for good. And that, uh, and I quoted that uh, Christian scholar who said that Paul represents the cross as Christ's chariot of victory, meaning that it was by his death that Christ conquered his enemies and he stripped them of their power and exposed them to public disgrace and led them in his own triumphant um, procession. And I love that. I love those those sections like Romans eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I, I, I love that. Uh, um, it's, we see so much evil in the world. I love the sections where we see the power of the Lord. And to just kind of summarize what we're going to be going into, I'm going to read a quote from Charles Erdman. Thank you very much, sir. I meant to bring a bottle and I forgot. So, uh, Charles Erdman says, The death of Christ was not only a pardon, it also manifested might or power. It not only canceled a debt, canceled a debt, it was a glorious triumph. By his cross, the mighty victor, capital V, meaning Christ, defeated Satan and all his hosts. <laughs> he despoiled them, are stripped away their armor. He let he put them to open shame and he led them captive in triumph. Why then, he goes on to say, why then fear the spiritual powers or the angelic beings before whom the false teachers bowed in worship? He's saying, why would we go back? If he's already won the victory, why would we go back? Why submit to Jewish rites and ceremonies? He's starting to lead into legalism. Why would we do these things? That's all ended. Christ alone is Savior. He is supreme. In Him is life. He meets our every need. 
So in chapter two, reading from your handout there, I put most of what I'm going to say is on the handout, not everything. In chapter two, verses eight through 15, Paul warned against the false philosophy of these teachers confronting the Colossians. And following this in 16 and through 23, he's now going to warn against the specific and full of error religious activities and practices that these heretics were maintaining uh, the Colossians should be doing. And quoting a gentleman named um, H.C.G. Moule, M-O-U-L-E, he said, and these two verses uh, are an appeal for Christian liberty, 16 and 17 that we read. He said, as earnest, he said, this, this appeal is as earnest, though less in passion as Paul's appeal to the Galatians. So he said, his appeal for Christian liberty to the Colossians is as earnest, but not necessarily as passionate as Paul's appeal to the Galatians, not to be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He's talking about getting enslaved to the law, bondage to the law. But he goes on to say, but let us note well that the liberty, Paul means, is the very opposite of license. I'm going to talk about what license is, but just for understanding's sake, license is a distortion of liberty, being free from the law, living in liberty to serve God. Uh, that, uh, license is a distortion of liberty. In other words, it's that uh, I'm going to sin that grace may abound. I'm going to do what I want, and I think there's no consequences to it. That's what license is. So, Liberty is the opposite of license and has nothing in the world uh, in akin. It's not related to the miserable individualism whose highest ambition is to do just what it likes. So he's saying, listen, license is, is miserable individualism and their only pursuit is just to do whatever they want. Essentially, lust and covetousness. So he goes on to say the whole aim of Paul is that the Colossians have the fullest, deepest, and most watchful holiness. He wants the Colossians converts to, above all things, to be holy. That is, to live a life yielded completely and thoroughly to their Redeemer, who is their Master. So I mentioned law, liberty, and license there. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we're going to go through that in a minute. So now I'm on A, on page four, therefore. <clears throat> so the verse reads, let no man therefore judge. Therefore really is a word that refers to the, uh, these warnings that are going to follow being founded upon things that have been previously said. It means as a result of or in light of the previous words. So what it's founded upon is the sufficiency of Christ. We don't need anything else, he's saying, because Christ alone has paid and, 
and made our salvation possible. Salvation is through Christ alone and not anything else that we can do. He's also, there's a reference here to the removal of the ceremonial law and its rituals as a result of his triumphant victory uh, over evil in his work on the cross. Now, I have a longer quote. MacArthur, John MacArthur happened to preach a couple of sermons on um, Colossians, and he did cover this area, and I wanted to kind of share this with you because I think it's in plain words, and it's, it drives the truth home. And uh, MacArthur said, There's another thing that intrudes into the simplicity of knowing Christ. Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to festivals or new moons or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He goes on to say, you're complete in Christ and him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the substance, the actual body. He's the substance, the, the reality of all mentioned in verse 16, which is the shadow. Okay, verse 16 is just the shadow. Let no man judge you in meat, drink, respect of holy days, a new moon, ritual, Sabbath days. Those were rituals that were performed in the Old Testament under the law. So he goes on to say, while... Paul is talking here, Paul is talking about here external religion. He's talking about ceremonial, externals, ritual. And I mean it's a characteristic of religion that it has rituals. Sometimes you hear it called liturgy, L-I-T-U-R-G-Y. It was characteristic of the Judaism which Paul is primarily addressing here. You see, he goes on that the false teachers wanted to sit in judgment on the people as to what they ate, whether it was kosher or not, uh, whether they observed appropriate festivals, uh, whether they were eating the right foods, uh, whether they were maintaining the Sabbath day, uh, and then there were special new moon Sabbaths, and this was their big issue, ritual. Now, and he goes on, he kind of elaborates here, and he says, did they bow down? Did they genuflect? Did they participate in the Mass? Did they light the candles? Did they say their beads? Did they go through whatever ritual they needed to go through? Did they have fastings? Did they go through ceremonial washings? Did they participate in the rites and duties and behaviors that are intended somehow mechanically to convey some type of divine connection? Paul says, don't get led astray by that. Don't think for a minute that some external activity, some external event in which you participate is necessary. The Jews were even saying, and some of them claimed to be Christians at the time of the New Testament, that look, if you're a Christian, God's not going to accept you even though you believe in his son unless you're circumcised. And they were making issues out of being circumcised. And remember, we looked at that in verse 11 in this passage mentions then they were saying, well, God's not going to accept you unless you've been circumcised. And Paul in other places says, forget circumcision. That had a place in the past, but it was a picture not and a shadow. That was a shadow. Sabbath had a place. It was showing you something to come. 
Dietary laws had a place. They separated you from the other nations around you to protect you from the intrusion of their false religious systems. All that God gave you had a place of protecting, preserving you, and depicting, shadowing, or portraying the reality to come. But he says, the reality, the substance is here. Christ is here. Set the shadow aside that the law and those rituals reflect because the substance is here, Christ. You don't need the ritual anymore because they portrayed Christ and he's here. So I think that that really is pretty simple reflection of what he's trying to say. Let's look at uh, paragraph B on the first page there. Uh, they were not to allow anyone to judge them using their, their observances or rituals and practices of the Mosaic Law. This includes dietary regulations, practices with meat and food and eating, drinking. And the holy days, new moon and Sabbath days, consisted of annual, monthly and weekly feast uh, days and observances on the Jewish calendar, which required special practices and rituals. Paul said no one quote, can be permitted to make such things a test of piety, devotion to God, or fellowship. That's from Vaughn, Dr. Curtis Vaughn. John Eady states, and I like this statement, he said the new covenant is too free and exuberant to be trained down to times and seasons because its feast is daily. We celebrate Christ daily. For every day is holy. Its new moon never wanes. And its serene tranquility is an unbroken Sabbath. What he's trying to say is every day is glorious in the Lord under the new covenant. We don't need all these seasons because every day is glorious. So uh, look at paragraph C. Shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, the body means substance. Okay. Or reality. These things in verse 16 were a shadow, all of those rituals. An anticipation, a type. A type is generally considered to be something that was done in the Old Testament, a practice or an, uh, a circumstance or a happening, an event that is revealed in the New Testament to be, have been uh, a representation or a shadow of, generally of Christ. And, uh, and all of the things in the uh, temple of the uh, tabernacle represented some aspect of redemption in Christ. Yes, Sheila. Oh, I'm in, I'm in uh, page one, item C. Page one, item C. Do you see it down there? Is that right? It's a single sheet. It shouldn't have multiple pages. It says September 3rd. Everybody should have, yeah. And ask, if you don't know where we're at, ask, because this is hard to follow. Yeah, anybody else need one? Okay. This is way too wordy to follow just with my voice, I think. Okay. There used to be multiple pages in the in the handout. There's one, just one page. 
Thank you. Thanks, thanks for asking. Thank you, Sheila, for bringing that up. Okay, so we are, we are in uh, uh, item, we just went to item C, shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ, verse 17. Uh, these things in verse 16, these rituals, these observances were a shadow, an anticipation, a type, a prefigurement of Christ. But now we have the reality of Christ in the new covenant. He has come. He has died on the cross and rose again the third day. And the body here means the reality or substance. In the past, these things pointed to the future and foreshadowed Christ who would be coming to fulfill them. Now Christ has come and fulfilled. And we, we have the fulfillment and the substance of the shadow. And I'm quoting uh, Dr. Vaughn again. He says, in Christ, the things to come have come. I really like that. That's really well done. That helps me remember this. In Christ, the things to come have come. And I wrote that in the handout. Now, I have uh, two quotes I want to do here. And uh, one of them is by Charles Erdman again. And another one. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's about a lady in a picture. And uh, I, so I'll tell you when I'm in that, because I want you to really hear that. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to that. Okay. Uh, Charles Erdman, who is gifted at really summarizing these things very eloquently. That's why I like to read his quotes. He said the Mosaic institutions, that's the law that came through Moses. It's from God. He said... They set forth the need of holiness, of pardon, of purity. They painted or pointed to a great high priest and to a perfect atonement. They contained a promise of fellowship with God. They symbolized the rest and the peace of a true spiritual experience. Yet they constituted only a shadow. The real substances in Christ... With, and within the gift of Christ, the body or substance or reality is Christ. And him, that is in Christ, can be found. And from him can be received all the blessings typified, shadowed, foreshadowed, represented by the ceremonials of the Jews. However, when someone comes and insists that certain ceremonies must be observed, when he declares that his forms of worship are necessary to salvation, then he must be rejected. In the interest of Christian liberty and of truth, Christ alone is the author of salvation. Faith in him is the sole essential, the only thing. To insist upon necessity of a rite or a ceremony is to displace or replace Christ and to deny his claims. Let no one substitute a shadow, forgetting that the substance, the reality, is Christ. Okay? And then, now we're at that quote that I said, that is one of my favorite quotes. I could just see this. Uh, kind of reminds me of a Hallmark, a Hallmark movie. This is by J. Vernon McGee, who said, uh, first, he's going to give the principle, and then he's going to give an illustration. He said, a believer is not to observe ordinances that are only ritual and liturgical. 
They have no present value. God did give certain rituals for the people of the Old Testament. So what has changed? Paul explains that they were merely a shadow of things to come. We get our word photograph from the Greek word used here for shadow. All the rituals of the law of the Old Testament were like a negative or a picture. They were just pictures of Christ. Now that Christ has come, we have the reality. Why should we go back and look at a picture? We've got the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my words, not his. Now, here's his illustration. He said, I remember that during... Now, if you've heard J. Vernon McGee, he's kind of got a southern accent, and, and it, I'm from the south, so it reminds me of the southern... <laughs> he says, I remember during the days of World War II, I performed the wedding ceremony for two wonderful young people here in Pasadena. We knew, of younger, we knew a number of young men who went to war, and some of them gave their lives. This young fellow was sent overseas, and while he was gone, his young bride carried the biggest purse that I've ever seen, and I've seen some big ones. I don't know why he had to comment. He's going to make some real comments in here. He says, in that purse, she carried a large photograph of him. Most people carry a little bitty picture, you know, wallet size picture with them, but not this girl. She carried a photograph that you could have hung on the wall. She was everlastingly drawing it out and showing it to people. She'd say, isn't he handsome? Between, I don't know why he said this, listen to this. Between you and me, he wasn't what I would call handsome. <laughs> he, was a, he was a wonderful boy, but he was not handsome. He, he didn't need to say that. I don't know why he said that. That was funny. He said, then the day came when the war was over and he was coming home. She went all the way from Pasadena to, um, to Seattle. I forgot to look up how many miles it is, but that's a lot of miles. And that's, it's, you know, it's an all-day drive. Back then, they had no freeways. It's an all-day drive on a freeway up here to, northern, to the border. So that's a long way. That's a couple-of-day drive. Anyway, she went all the way to Seattle to meet him. Now, what do you think she did when she saw him coming down the gangplank? She hadn't seen him in a couple of years. Do you think she took out that picture and said, look at it, look at it? Do you think she looked at the picture and said, isn't he wonderful? I don't think she even had that picture with her. She saw him, and when she saw him, she didn't need a picture. She threw her arms around him. Now, that's how he is illustrating that we had a picture of Christ. Now we have him. We don't need the picture anymore. And I, how he finds these illustrations, I don't know. I think that's great. But he uses them and he said, many of us need to get off the merry-go-round of going and attending seminars, adapting gimmicks and jumping through everybody's little hoop and taking a shortcut to the abundant life. Have we really arrived? Some think they have. Let us stop carrying around a faded photograph when we have the reality, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying also Christ is the answer to rituals and rites and the legalism. Um, he is the substance. And Coke used to have a, uh, Coca-Cola used to have a, um, a commercial and it said he's the real, it's the real thing. Well, the Lord is the substance. He's the real thing. We don't need to shadow anymore. He's the real thing. Okay, so now what I'd like to do is to um, move 
to, we're going to go off the handout. So take your handout, set it aside, and we're going to go to the first page. It says Paul's warning against legalism, okay? It's a chart. So what we've been talking about here is, um, the, see those questions there in the first thing? So you could sum up verse 16 with the question, are we following law, legalism, or liberty? Law or liberty? Or legalism or liberty? And um, we might add their license because I'm going to talk about license here in a minute. So law or liberty? Paul asked the Colossians. And then verse 17 that I really overemphasize are we following the shadows or the substance? Are we following Christ? Are we pulling out the picture? Are we, are, we, are we following our Lord Jesus Christ? So then I thought, you know, there's a lot of description here. And so I made this little chart. And I hope this helps you. When I have a lot of details, sometimes it helps me to kind of create a little chart. And this is my chart, so if it's an error, it's not the pastor's fault. It's not Dr. So-and-so's fault. It's Scotty's fault. Okay, so line one is law. I want to treat the chart as if liberty was the should be in the middle. I'm going to put liberty in the middle, and then I put license to uh, do it last. So law, what's the status, the stand here? Uh, some people they follow legalism. They're still following the law. If you ask 90, if you, well, probably 95% of the people, if you tried to ask them, if you stood before God uh, or the Lord Jesus Christ as you went into heaven and, and he asked you, why should you, why should I let you into my heaven? They usually say, well, you know, the scales kind of fall in my favor because I've done more good than bad. And I'm actually a good person. You know, I, I'm not a, a uh, robber, I'm not a liar, I'm not a thief, I'm not a this or that. And they, they, somehow they come up with legalism. And that, that's the most common thing that people believe. Uh, so rely, legalism is, or law, is the action is relying upon the commands that, that we have. But those commands can't save you, nor can we keep them. So what's the focus? The focus then is self-effort self-righteousness, works, trying to get your salvation through works. And what does that lead to? Well, it leads to sin because the harder you try to keep the law, the more you're going to break it. And then what's the attitude or quality here? And I put pride because you're really appealing to the flesh and you start justifying how you've kept a lot of the law and pride ensues, just comes into being. So, if you notice, uh, the middle letter of pride is I. And it's, it's, it's not spelled P-R-E-D-E, it's spelled P-R-I-D-E, okay? So pointing that out. Okay, let's look at liberty. Liberty is what the Lord, we have been freed from the necessity, the obligation to sin. We have a new nature, we're a new creation in Christ. And liberty is... is uh, I've done. I tried to do alliteration here. The reverence and regard for Christ is is the action that someone who is following liberty, and the focus is. Um, again, I put 
I added the word spirituality there to do alliteration. And uh, hopefully that's not confusing to you. God in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the focus of someone who is, has liberty in Christ, no longer following the law, not, follow, not following sin, uh, not following Satan, but following liberty in Christ, following Christ in liberty. Okay? And, um, and under the new covenant. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, the focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ and God, glorifying God. And the, that leads to um, righteousness and, um, and uh, spirit-led behavior. Okay, And the quality and attitude reflected there is piety, grace and love and faith. It's spirit manifested. Okay, so now the, the middle one that I want to address, actually the third one that I want to address is license. And that's uh, the resort there is an attempt to, uh, to do alliteration. So really talking about willful um, behavior, you deciding what you want to do instead of following Christ, you follow what your own personal desire is, and you're following the focus is on self and fleshly desires, and the quality and attitude is pursuit of lust and covetousness. And um, if you notice, I just I just notice this the the some of the central letter there of lust and covetousness is you, because it's focused on you, me, and uh, so. There you can kind of see a, a distinction and draw some distinctions there between the three different. I'm going to define these in, in the other handouts. But looking at, if you want to look at Galatians 5 now, if you turned there, uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses. What, what now? Galatians, what did I say? Oh, question. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, licentiousness is more the uh, act, act of action, of uh, behavior, and whereas license is more the attitude. It's like covetousness or lust. It's more the attitude uh, than. Um, so I have li uh, if I if I act uh, in licensed. You, I mean, for for all intents and purposes, yeah, but. Strictly, license is the stand or act, whereas an attitude, whereas licentiousness is the quality and nature of it. Even you know, does make any difference? One, okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of an illustration. Uh, if if uh, when the Bible talks of licentiousness, if, if people doing things because uh, because in the end they're saved anyway so I might as well do what I want. But that, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and I've got a definition we're going to do in a minute. But yeah, yeah. So license is more of the label of people following that persuasion and licentiousness is what they do. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. I mean, that's a really minor point. The thing is, don't do it, you know. You don't have to know, just don't do it, okay. 
Okay. So, <laughs> Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So entangle means to, in the original word, means burdened or oppressed by. Uh, and yoke is a word that indicates uh, the device or harness that he used for domestic animals. You think of like yoke on an oxen, that wooden. You hear that most commonly today. And so the thing that was used to harness domesticated animals uh, he, he uses as a metaphor to talk about slavery to the law. The law was only a picture. We don't need to continue. The law cannot save us. So we don't need to follow uh, legalism. And then Galatians 5.13, uh, so that refers to law and legalism. Galatians 5.13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. We've been freed from the, from the law. And we're now under Christ and we follow his standard and his love and his law. Only use not liberty for you, for brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, the word occasion there, uh, sometimes rendered opportunity, is a military term, which means a, uh, a um, central base of operations. And at the, I thought of, I was a planner in, uh, at Travis Air Force Base, and one of the things they would do is say, well, if we have war with this country, we're going to go to this forward operating base, which is as close as we can get to the war scene. We're going to bring all our aircraft, all our materials, all of our uh, people that we need to fight the war. We're going to operate from there. So Paul is saying, don't use liberty as a military base or forward operating base for the flesh to satisfy the lust thereof. Because if you think you have liberty, well, I can do whatever I want with no consequences. And that is not true. Um, Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, but by love, serve, serve one another. Love is the, the guiding thing that we should be involved with. Um, the love for God and love, love for, love for um, the, and that, that liberty should be guided by love. I'm giving you another quote here on those verses. What? I have another question. Okay. When they're talking about use not liberty, couldn't that be also saying that's license? Yeah, don't, he says only don't use your liberty as license is what he's saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly what he's saying. And he uses that colorful thing about the, uh, the military base. Paul's masterful at using that kind of language. Okay, so MacArthur says... Um, don't use your liberty or freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. The Greek word for opportunity or occasion was often used to refer to a central base of military operations. In the context, the flesh refers to the sinful inclinations of fallen man. The freedom Christians have is not a base 
from which they can sin freely and without consequence. Christian freedom is not for selfish fulfillment, but for serving others. Now, we don't often think of that, but we, how do we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Very often by serving others. So when we're serving others, we're serving Christ. Um, looking at another Galatians, uh, for the law, for, okay, five, Galatians 5.14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Interesting, that's our theme for this year. So we are to fulfill, we are in liberty to fulfill the law and that we are to love the Lord Jesus Christ and our neighbor as ourself. And he is, uh, interestingly enough, uh, MacArthur makes a, a point that um, the, the verse that talks about circumcision, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. And uh, um, verse 5, 6, he says, Nothing done or not done in the flesh, even religious ceremony, makes any difference in one's relationship to God. What is external is immaterial and worthless unless it reflects genuine internal righteousness. Faith working through love, which I read uh, a minute ago, as, uh, but we are to, uh, five, verse 5, 6, but faith which worketh by love. Faith working through love. Saving faith proves its genuine character by works of love. The person who lives by faith is internally motivated by love for God and Christ, which supernaturally, supernaturally issues forth in reverent worship, genuine obedience, and self-sacrificing love for others. That's the whole point right there. We live in liberty. We're to be living in love. And... I want to give this illustration. I think Chuck will like this illustration because some of you know I've given these illustrations before. I was a navigator in, uh, not in World War II, but <laughs> I was a navigator. And uh, the reason I wanted liberty in the center when we discussed that, I want you to think of a gauge in a cockpit of an airplane. And on the left, it's legalism or law. And the center is liberty, where we're our course, our true course. And then a license is over here. And whatever that needle points to is where we should be going, okay? Uh, actually, that needle should be pointing in the center, but whatever it's pointing to is the direction we're headed. So one night, and I think somewhere about 50 years ago, in 1974 or 73, I was flying from Goose Bay, Labrador, which probably no one knows where it is. It's near a place called Lake Melville, a lake. And it goes up, and it's kind of a joint Canadian Air Force base. And, and we flew this old, I was a navigator, so it's my job to tell the pilots uh, where they are and how to get there. 
and we were flying about a seven hour because it's a prop plane that's flying at 9,000 feet, which is at a 30 or 40,000 feet. It's flying right over the Prince, the tip of Greenland. So it's flying north. So here's, here's uh, Iceland and here's, uh, here's Goose Bay, Labrador. And right here is Greenland, halfway. The, flying right over the tip. Because if we flew over the body of Greenland, we'd hit a mountain and crash and die. So... <clears throat> Uh, I wasn't navigating the plane, but I, I always a little, a little worried about my. There's two navigators on most of the air, most of those type airplanes at that time, so I was in this. I was I went up I went up front and I sat in the co-pilot seat, and my job was uh, just to kind of keep him awake, really. But I know that there's a radio uh, frequency beacon that will take something called. Uh, automatic direction finder and the needle will point to right where it is if it's over here it'll point to it if it's ahead of you which is where it should be it'll point there if the right was right on course or if it points over here you're off course so if you're over here you're under law or legalism if you're over here you're under license but if you're right here you're in liberty you're right on course right i turned that in and it it went over here and i thought oh no because we're flying at 9,000 feet, the highest mountain there within a few miles is like 8,000 and some hundred feet. You could be, the altimeter could be that far off. And so I made him uh, to turn immediately 30 degrees, to, 30 degrees to the right so we would not experience the misfortune of crashing and burning and possibly dying. And I went back and said to the navigator very gently, what in the world are you doing? Are you awake? What's happening here? Why are you headed toward this mountain? You know, don't you use this trick of turning in this low frequency radio beacon right on course and following that? You're off course. You're headed away from it. You're headed towards death. And uh, he... he uh, fixed his issues. There weren't very many good navigational aids, but you can see it on radar and you can you can use those low frequency radio beacons. You have celestial and you have some radio things called Loran, long range air navigation. And he was off course. And if we had continued, we could have we might have missed the mountain. I didn't want to test that. And so I had him turn and nothing ever happened of it. We didn't get violated or anything or have an investigation. But it was a bad thing. And, you know, if we had continued, we would have headed out into the ocean. And if you hadn't caught it any time, and this has actually happened, some people missed, believe it or not, Hawaii on a C-5 and ended up way up north and didn't have enough gas to get all the way back to Honolulu. They had to land somewhere and get gas. It was a big mess, and they got in deep trouble over that. And so, you know, that's license. They just out wandering, and law legalism. They kind of is going the other direction, and 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 crashing and burning because they can't. They're going to hit something, and uh, uh, liberty is staying. Your course is liberty is the course, and I, I, I thought love was the the. Uh, the navigational aid, if you're right on course, you're following love and going right down liberty. Okay, so our time is up, but I wanted to share uh, Christian liberty. And I, there's four, four different things that that 
can mean when somebody says Christian liberty. That's okay. You're good. You're good. Then uh, uh, that I'm going to um, also talk about license. I'll probably just end with that next next uh, next week. Thank you all. Questions? Anybody else have a question? Okay. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at uh, um, legalism, liberty, and license. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have the correct uh, view of understanding what you would have us to do as Christians, that we would be operating in love and not in license, feeling we can do anything we want, and also that we would not be hamstrung and under the bondage, the yoke of bondage of, of legalism. We know that we have a responsibility to live righteously before others. We can't just do anything we want. We want to do what you want. And we pray, Father, that you would bless each one that's represented here. We thank you for uh, all those that have uh, came this morning, all those that are online and watching. And uh, we pray that you would... Uh, uh, be with all those that are ill that couldn't be here, all those that are ill in our church and on our prayer list. Pray that you would comfort those that are sick. You would encourage those that are hurting. And I pray you'd bless our service to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.